Hi everyone, I'm Jasmine. I'm Alea, and welcome to Whitman So White, a platform to share BIPOC voices and tell our stories. For today's episode, we kind of wanted to build on our model minority myth episode. We'll be talking with our friends Snay and Daniel about their Asian American experiences and discuss their lives in general. Snay, do you want to introduce yourself first? Yeah, um, I'm Snay Katra. I'm a rising sophomore. Um, I go by she, her, hers pronouns. I'm undecided in my major, but it's most likely going to be politics with probably like a minor in computer science or something like that. Unsure. Hi, I'm Daniel, and I'm going to be a junior this year. I use he, him, and his pronouns, and I'm going to study computer science, French, and math. So let's start off um, by getting to know you guys a little bit better, um, and can you talk to us about your background? So I'm Cambodian Chinese, and I think I might be Vietnamese somewhere in that mix. And um, my parents immigrated here from Cambodia in the 80s, and I was born here in Oregon. And so I would consider myself an Asian American. Um, I was born in India, and um, I came to Los Angeles when I was four, and I grew up in Los Angeles. So I consider myself Asian American because I grew up <laughs> in America, um, but I did grow up in an Asian household. And uh, yeah. Uh, let's talk about the diversity in Asian cultures and communities and your own experiences. Um, well, I, I grew up in like downtown LA, right? And um, most of my, I, I didn't grow up with anybody Indian, right? And most of my friends were um, from the Latinx community um, or East Asian. So it wasn't, I, I never thought of, you know, putting the label of Asian American on myself. And I often had the conversation of like, you're Asian? And I'm just like, yeah. And they'd be like, well, you're from India. And I'm just like, well, India's in Asia. <laughs> um, and that would, be, that would be kind of awkward for them, <laughs> um, but uh, kind of weird for me because now, you know, like I think about it and I'm just like, yeah, I'm like definitely I'm Asian and I'm American, <laughs> and I'm an Asian American. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been, it's just been weird because like I've never been in tune with the Asian side of me. It's just been the fact that I'm not from here and that I'm Indian. And me being in tune with the Indian side of me has just been in connection in connection with my family, but never really. I grew up um, with the typical Asian values, and um, but I think the the biggest thing for me was not really learning my my family's language. So at home they speak Khmer, which is the the Cambodian language, and my mom also speaks Chinese, and a lot of my family speaks Chinese and Vietnamese, but. Um, I learned Chinese when I was a kid, but I um, kind of stopped speaking it when I went into elementary school. And so um, a lot of my experience with the Asian culture is kind of confusing when, um, when you don't know what you're doing, when you're like, you know, saying gong hi fat choi to like your aunt, to your relatives and like you bow and you get a red envelope, but like, I didn't, for a long time, I didn't know what I was saying. I was just like making that sound with my mouth. So I have a lot of experiences um, that I just had difficulty navigating when I was a kid. I think that like, it's so hard because like the only Asian narrative that's like um, communicated in media is this like, oh, it's like one international Chinese family who immigrates to the US at like some like obscure time and they have to like figure out how to navigate like white culture 
Um, and like, I feel like this connects to what Sne was saying about how she didn't really like identify as Asian American um, for a while. And then people were like, oh, but you're from India, which kind of like perpetuated that even though they are incorrect. Um, yeah. And you know, it's not even like, because because I grew up primarily around like Latinx folk, like I wasn't, people wouldn't be like, oh, you're from India. People would think that I'm Hispanic, right? And I would be like, well, actually I'm Indian. Uh, or I would be like, well, actually I'm Asian. And they're just like, what? <laughs> and then I would be like, I'm Indian and India's in Asia. And then there would be a really great learning moment for them. <laughs> a pretty weird thing. <laughs> I think that's like a pretty good transition into the like next question that we had um and like in our model minority myth episode we mentioned how the myth kind of homogenizes the Asian experience and Asian individuals and like something that we wanted to make space for um today was part is like part of the South Asian and like Middle Eastern experiences and like Sine did you want to start off and like you kind of talked about this before too but about being like South Asian and how that upsets like people's stereotypical idea of what like Asian is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there was definitely like nobody like profiled me correctly. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I didn't grow up around um, Indian people um, and it was only, like my family. So it's not really like I stayed in touch with my culture all that much unless, you know, it was with my family, which I'm pretty grateful for. And I'm grateful for the fact that my parents always like spoke Hindi at home. So like I I can understand the language, although I'm always shy about speaking it because like like I'm I I you know, like my cousins just had kids in the US. So I am like the one kid that grew up in the US in my family. Like I'm the youngest person in my family that grew up in the United States and the last person in my family that was born in India. Um, and that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> that's a lot of pressure to like maintain your culture. And I definitely have not, you know, maintained my culture all that much. Like I, I'm definitely very like culturally, um, inept in comparison to the rest of my older cousins and my older brother and the rest of my family members. Um, so it's been, it, I mean, it was a little alienating because like, it's not like I had Asian Americans to bond with because again, Asian American culture was primarily, you know, East Asian centered and like, I didn't really, connect with my like family on that level either just because I grew up in the United States and like they had these like cultural expectations for me that I couldn't really fit just because like I I didn't like I didn't even have like the interest you know like I remember my mom trying to teach me Hindi when I was a kid um in our apartment in LA and me being like I don't want to do this um and like like rejecting it in every way possible. So I'm grateful for what I know and what I've retained. Um, and I wish that um, I aspire to um, maintain my own culture when I was younger, but I'm pretty, it feels like I'm at like a limbo, you know, and like in between like not really knowing what it's like to grow up feeling Asian American, not really knowing what it's like to grow up feeling completely Indian, not really knowing what it's like to feel, um, not really knowing what it's like to grow up feeling um, like completely American, you know? So it's just like a mix of experiences where I'm at like, wow, this is really deep. <laughs> a loss <laughs> of my identity um just because everything is just like so in between and nothing is concrete 
Um, for me, I, I guess I just want to preface this with the fact that I don't identify as Asian, but because like I'm Iranian, that I don't feel that Middle Eastern is ne it's never a box that I can always check. Um, so it's always a confusing time. Like, what am I? Because, you know, as Sne said, India's in Asia, so is Iran, but I'm not considered Asian. I don't really identify as it. Um, but also like excluding Middle Eastern cultures um, and not including it like as an option to identify with sometimes. Um, it's kind of weird and it's kind of like a struggle to deal with because you don't know what you are. You don't really know what to tell people. Like as a general statement, I can't just say I'm Asian because I'm not. Um, and I think that it's just, I guess, frustrating um, that it's like even the term Middle East is kind of weird to think about, like Middle and East of who. Um, so it's just like, I don't know, it's weird. And I think that the term like Asian is not taken as literally as it as it's probably meant to be, um, that a if a country's in Asia, then you're Asian. <laughs> um, but I think I think people don't pick up on that. And so I just, I do wanna acknowledge that that does exist. Um, and I don't feel like there's enough, I mean, Middle Eastern representation in anything, um, or it's always negative, or you always lump like Iraq and Iran together as if they're the same country, like things like that. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge that for a quick minute. Um, do you all want to share some personal stories or experiences in relation in relation to your Asian identity um, that you think are important for listeners to hear? Did have something to add on um, to what Sne was saying and kind of Jasmine too about how there's always this like in between. Um, but like Sne was saying that she didn't really feel connected to her culture in like, I guess a traditional sense. And like, for me, I feel like it's kind of the opposite in that, so like I'm a Chinese adoptee, right? And I came here when I was, I think 11 months. So I literally don't remember anything from China and I do not consider myself like having been in China. Um, and so then when I was five, I went to like Chinese immersion school and like then I got reconnected with like my culture of origin, I guess. And then it was so confusing because, you know, like my whole family is white, except for my sister who's also a Chinese adoptee. And for me, <clears throat> it was just kind of weird because I was learning about the stuff that I was supposedly supposed to be like connected to. And I was like, how, like, I don't really know how to find a balance between like these two parts of myself and and like, I am very grateful for like knowing more about where I was born and like being able to speak Chinese. Um, but I think it was like so confusing because I am like purely American. Like I don't have, I've never lived anywhere else. Um, and like, again, I don't really have that cultural background except for learning about it academically. Um, and so that just like those trying to like navigate those two like spheres is very strange. Can I ask if you feel pressure to kind of learn and be knowledgeable about your background or is it more of a self-motivated, like I need to feel connected to something kind of thing? I don't really know. Um, I struggled with like identity more when I first like came out of the immersion school in eighth grade. Cause I was like, oh, like I, I don't know, it was a little bit of an othering experience because like going to Chinese immersion school, I think like threw me into the stereotype of being Asian American more because I like am visibly an Asian person and speak the language and have like had personal interest in the cultural background. And so that was confusing. And then I think there was pressure there to be connected to it. But then when I left, I was kind of like, like I outside of school, like I don't really have any connection to it. And so, yeah, and now the only like personal interest that I have in it is just like if 
I go back to China and like visit, I'll be able to like, um, like communicate with like the locals and stuff, which is like the most important thing to me. But I definitely am like still really disconnected from like cultural practices and stuff. Do you want to share some personal stories and experiences in relation to your Asian identity that you think are important for listeners to hear? Um, a big part of uh, being an Asian American or an Asian in a, in a Western country um, is this, this moment called a lunchbox moment. And um, it gets its name from the experience for an Asian student to, to bring their lunchbox or just a home cooked meal to school and be made fun of for it. Um, I think there have been a couple PNP sessions on this, but um, so while the other kids would bring their sandwiches and their lunchables, um, the Asian student would bring, you know, rice and like some fish that the other students have never smelled before. And um, yeah, and they'd just be shamed for it in front of their class. And it's kind of a defining moment for an Asian student in a Western country to kind of just know that they're Asian and come to realize that this is what they're going to have to go through for the rest of, I don't know, their academic careers or the rest of their lives. Um, so for me, I, I would consider my lunchbox moment not to be an actual lunchbox moment where I actually brought some food to school, but um, I when I was a kid, like four, like three or four years old, I used to, you know, watch Jackie Chan movies, watch Bruce Lee movies, and like dance and do Kung Fu in front of the mirror, like a, yeah. Um, uh, but on the, so on the first day of kindergarten, I had to ride the bus. And I remember my dad um, waiting for the bus with me. And when the bus came, um, he was like, good luck. And study hard, you know, just like an Asian parent would. And um, so I stepped on that bus and the doors closed and I, I walked down the aisle and there was like these fourth and fifth graders. I'm not sure how old they were, but they were much older. And I was like this, you know, barely three foot, I don't know, two foot Asian kid walking on this bus. And people were just yelling like, oh my God, it's Bruce Lee or, oh, it's Jackie Booty. And I think that was like their spin off of like Jackie Chan or something. But um, yeah, it, it just hit me right away. I didn't think it would like be so quick to happen in my life. Um, but my experience through elementary school, I was, I went to school with um, a pretty large Hispanic community. Um, I'd say like 80, 85%. So um, I kind of, learned the definition of, of Chino and like people were calling me Chinese kid and all, all that all the time. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd say I, I felt like I was Asian in a, a Western country pretty early in my life. Yeah. I, um, I feel like I tried really, really hard to be American when I was a kid, and I only I only visited um, India once since I left, and that was when I was twelve, um, and I stood out <laughs> when I when I visited. I just like I I was just like so like I just did not dress or act or look like anybody who was around me and that was very purposeful and I remember like growing up and being like I'm gonna make sure that I don't smell like Indian food like I'm gonna make sure that um like anything that you know would make me seem un-American um isn't like prevalent in my persona and I think something interesting that I've realized like recently is um that like I'm I'm like super American right and <laughs> like I grew up here I don't like I don't have an accent I I speak my language I understand my language but like I don't speak it <laughs> often um but like either way you know like upon glance 
like I am treated as the other and I, I had an experience very recently that that like kind of shook me and it's not like I've, I've definitely experienced racism before but like I was coming into work and they were like checking my temperature right because of COVID and um like the person the the person that was checking the temperature asked the person in front of me or like talk, was talking to the person in front of me about the weather and then it came to me and then the person was like oh what's the weather in India like? And I was just like, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I wanted to be like, well, I don't know, like, what's the weather in Germany like? <laughs> because, like, it's, it's the same amount of relevance, because I, I, like, I don't, <laughs> it was just so weird, because, like, um, like, in that moment, like, I was seen as someone foreign. I was seen as someone that isn't from here, even though I am just, like, so American, right? And I, I think this this also goes to what I was talking about earlier and like being in this in-between state where like like I I wouldn't know, you know, because like I didn't grow up in India and I don't know like a ton about the culture and I'm not like I'm just so American and I don't know, like it's just it's just like it's really weird. I feel like most of my most of my experiences regarding my racial identity is being reminded that I'm like not not being reminded that I'm a person of color, but like just like being reminded that I'm not from here, right? Even though like my entire life is here. Um yeah. That like kind of reminds me of like when you were saying like, oh, I wanted to ask them like, what's the weather in Germany like? Like that reminds me of, so there's these like YouTube videos on like, just like compilations of how people of color would sound if they asked white people like the questions that we get asked. And like one of them is like, it's not even a question, but it's like, oh, like I wish I had like your pale, pale skin, <laughs> like something like that. And I was like, having it turned around and sound like that like that's so gross and like so creepy and like why would you like even why would you even like ask someone that I don't know but then when people of color are like that it's like oh we're being like fetishized and like being called exotic and stuff and so yeah if you want to have a good laugh, definitely like go check out some of those videos. They're like everywhere, <laughs> but yeah, they're really funny. Yeah, and that also reminds me of how like colorism is so ingrained in Asian culture. You know, like I remember, like I remember growing up and um, like, female members of my family like always commenting on the color of my skin and like I, I grew up like really like on the darker side and my mom's on the lighter side but I um and my brother was also on the lighter side so we would always like compare our skin tones <laughs> and um you know like I would always be like told to stay out of the sun so that I would remain like fair and um and all that. So like, I feel like that's also worth noting, just because it's just so, um, I don't know, like the tone of your skin is also just like so ingrained in uh, to Asian culture. Yeah, I, I felt a lot of that too. Um, I, when I was growing up, up until like, the middle of middle school, I, I'd say had some pretty light skin, like a East Asian word. Um, but once I started playing tennis, um, like just because I'm, I think I'm, I'm Cambodian, like my skin just tans so quickly. Like I spend 20 minutes in the sun, I just get really dark. Um, and so then I started to experience um, my mom, um, like telling me like, you look black. And there's obviously some uh, loss in translation there, but um, 
she always told me to like wear long sleeves when I and long pants when I played tennis, which of course I never did because that's just ridiculous. Um, but I also heard um, my mom telling my sister not to play tennis because um, it just she wanted her to have like pale skin and just being dark for uh, a Chinese person was kind of weird for her. Um, I also remember. Um, when I would go to, to family gatherings, uh, like I said, I don't really know the, the, any languages that I speak, but I can like recognize um, certain words. And it, I would hear, whenever I would walk in the door, I would hear like Kamau, which means like black in Cambodian, and just hear it like back and forth everywhere. Like it's just, every time I would go to, to um, a family gathering, I would just hear something like that. And it just kind of reminds me of what I look like. Like in my family, it's kind of the opposite because like obviously my family's white. And so like a lot of the time in the summer, like they were the ones who had to stay out of the sun because they get burnt as fuck. And I would not, and they'd be like, oh my God, I'm so jealous because I wish I could go out in the sun and like not burn and all, like all those kinds of things and I'm like yeah but do you recognize like the privilege of like having white skin that you have and it's like I would totally be down to burn if I could just like not I don't know like not be subject to all of this like criticism all the time because I'm a POC like uh it's so annoying and then what else was I gonna say oh yeah so like my grandma's Finnish and like she has pretty dark skin for like a white person and she's like and in the winter she's like darker than I am because I get hella pale in the winter but she's like oh Alea but like I am darker than you so I don't really understand how you like face racism and I don't and I'm like not like those exact words um and like I love my grandma but like when it comes to topics of race like sometimes like that's something that she wonders about because like I think people use colorism and racism interchangeably which like isn't true and like even though she is darker than me she has like Eurocentric facial features and like all this stuff and like she's 85 um comes from a pretty like blonde-haired blue-eyed country and so I get how that can be confusing for her so if you are confused about that and you're listening, <laughs> that's something that is different, like skin color and then like the features that you have because of like where you originally came from. So just keep that in mind. There's like this, um, like obviously racial hierarchy, but within races and within cultures, there's also a hierarchy based on, of course, color. Um, and so I think that people do confuse the two things and it's important to distinguish them, but also like colorism shouldn't be thrown under the bus because it's really important. Um, and to people who like, don't really, they just see you, you know, like you're just spitting out darkness or like like not having a pale complexion um it's just it's what they take at face value it's not like and i've said this before like literally the last like couple of episodes but it's not like they're gonna figure out exactly what you are before they decide to be like racist or something they're not like searching for what you are they just look at you and what you present brings on whatever they think about and i think that's important to consider like um, your identities matter and who you are matters, but also like at face value, what do you look like to other people is also brings on like a whole set of problems on their own. Um, so I just think that's important for people to think about. I also think another place that my grandma was coming from is like, so she's like one on the darker end of like her whole family as well. And like, even though they all live in Finland, like she was I think ridiculed for having like darker skin and like um like she also has been like called slurs too like I think like she's been called like a gypsy and like 
that kind of thing in her home country and so like I think that's where the like I don't really understand how you're discriminated against more than I am because of our skin tones because she was like in her home country and so I think yeah it's just all fucked up <laughs> I love melanin <laughs> I <laughs> I love not burning I remember my brother used to like like go hang out with his friends and I remember one time he like went to the beach with his friends and came back all burnt and like last summer I would spend hours and hours in the sun canvassing like on my bike like literally 10 hours a day and I'd be fine <laughs> so it was pretty I don't know pretty sick <laughs> not getting burnt um yeah I like mine. <laughs> this like does sort of translate into another thing that I think often comes up in the Asian American experience which is like beauty standards and like colorism definitely plays a role in that like being lighter is more beautiful and I think one that comes from like classism like if you're like higher class you don't have to like be outside as much and also like Eurocentric beauty standards where if you're more pale then you're more beautiful and like I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that but like one thing that I have been peeved about since the beginning is like the fox eye trend and I don't understand because Asian people have been made fun of for their eyes like so much and now like when white girls like pull their eyes back it's like oh my god so cute like how do people not realize like the past experiences that Asian people have had with that and then just like totally disregard it when it comes to like trends like that like it just blows my mind like people don't really have any like critical thinking skills that that makes me think about did you guys when you were growing up did you ever um hear this like little poem slash song that people would do where they would like um say chinese japanese dirty knees look at these and yeah they would like stretch their eyes out like up and down and then like touch their knees and yeah it was, it was just disgusting to watch that as a kid and watch so many other kids just copy it just because the way kids are and how they learn yeah i mean i've never known how to um interpret like where I stand on the the western beauty spectrum because I've never had like a sense of like what I look like or like what I'm like that sounds weird I I've never I don't know I used to be a lot darker when I was younger and it was brought to my attention that I'm a lot lighter now um and I do tan significantly easier um than other people because like my natural skin tone is pretty dark but like generally on like the beauty spectrum um in the western lens like i i'm definitely like unsure where i stand and i feel like that all has to do with the whole like limbo aspect of my identity where it's just like well I grew up being profiled as part of the Latinx community and you know like any any beauty related thing um from the like Indian interactions I've had had to do with like the tone of my skin um and yeah so like I never knew I didn't have anything to compare to I guess or like I didn't know where to start and like I just I have no sense <laughs> of like what I look like um so it's it's definitely been that's also been a very like confusing part of my identity I definitely feel that like I feel like there's this disconnect between how I feel on the inside and then how I look on the outside and it's just like I don't know like I have heard that a lot of 
like Asian kids growing up in like predominantly white areas when they were little and like when they were asked to draw pictures of themselves would like draw themselves as white even though that's not like actually what they looked like and I feel like I have that a little bit but like I don't know like obviously I know what I look like because I have looked in the mirror but I feel like there's always this like oh wait like I don't know, it's really hard to explain. Yeah, I think something that, that like, I was personally getting at is just, like, I don't know, like, because you know how people, like, know that they're attractive, or, like, people, <laughs> people might, like, know that they're, um, like, maybe, maybe not the most, like, attractive. <laughs> well, I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, like, when, when people think that, they, they're referring to a very, like, set, like very specific set of standards that is deemed by you know western society and all that like i have no idea like i i like i'm confident but that doesn't necessarily mean that i think that i'm attractive you know and i don't and i don't know like where i would like even begin to stand on that spectrum because i i didn't grow up with white people right and so like I just don't know <laughs> like where to start to interpret um the way that I look. This kind of reminds me of um like kind of our kind of our dating in the BIPOC community episode where it's kind of like it's different than like like being considered beautiful is different than being considered attractive like to me it's like oh like you're beautiful but I'm not gonna date you because you're xyz or like I'm not into people with like darker skin or something and like kind of like leaving those things out and being like very subtle to some but obviously racist um and I think that I mean it's important to consider like it's it's more than just like having your own kind of self-confidence and self-recognition, but like also like, what about other people and how about my relationship to other people? Um, and I think that's that's kind of like hard to navigate, um, especially when you like, in, in like the dating world and things like that, it's kind of hard. Yeah, I think like generally, not just in dating, I think that generally with like any relationship, um, like that always plays a role and also like your characteristics and how they fit into your identity. Like for me personally, like I'm a very like opinionated person. Like I have something, like I talk like I have something important to say and I have no problem saying it, right? And that's pretty intimidating <laughs> um, for a, a lot of people. And I've been told like so many, like I, like the one thing that I was always told you know, my entire life was just like, oh, when I first saw you or when I first met you or when I first like started interacting with you, like I was like super intimidated by you and blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, yeah, because like I am like, I am someone who in the lens of society should be like quiet and self-conscious and um, you know, not really have the confidence in knowing what I'm doing, but I'm not that person, you know, like I, I'm confident and I am not afraid to say things and I'm not afraid to defend myself and like that's intimidating because it's not what you expect. Um, and that's fine, but it doesn't mean that I'm mean. <laughs> I think I'm pretty nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like that's like impacted my relationships quite a bit and like I feel like I've just like either like surprised people because um you know their expectations of me were so different than who I actually was and then they were intimidated by me but then they got to know me and they understood where I came from or like they were intimidated by me and then as a result, were threatened by me and just constantly misunderstood me every step of the way where I've like had conversations with them or, um, you know, tried to confront like what about me always, um, I don't know, like 
warrants a reaction that is like defensive or um, shows that like I threaten this person. And I think it's interesting because it shows like a lot of insecurities. This is specifically with men. <laughs> it shows a lot of like insecurities um, that they have, like regardless of, you know, like who they are, or how confident they are, or like what they know or what they think they, they know. Um, and it's just really interesting, like being able to observe people and the way that they react to or respond to my persona. I kind of wanted to backtrack a little bit to what we were talking about with like dating and this idea of like attractiveness um, and something that I talk about with my high school friends like so often is the enigma that is all of the women of color in my grade were like so beautiful the smartest like most amazing people and like they did not get any attention from in like the dating pool for like the first three years of high school and we were all like what the hell is going on because like we all know that we're like beautiful and amazing and like attractive people and mind you we were at a majority white high school and we were confused because like, how could anyone not want us? I don't know. Like, that sounds like very, <laughs> like, very um, self-absorbed, but it's true. And, like, eventually some guys, like, did step up senior year, but that was only because they were desperate for prom dates. Anyway, um, but that was just so confusing to me because what we talked about with Ebony and the dating and fetishizing episode is, like, you can be a person of color, you can be the most beautiful, smartest, whatever, you can have it all, but if you're POC, like, you're just not going to be attractive to some people, which, like, fucking sucks, and then you feel so, like, invalidated, and, like, you don't, like, you feel like you don't have anything to offer when literally no one deserves you, like, I don't know. But yeah, we talk about that all the time and it's so frustrating. She said what she said. Oh my gosh, Alea. <laughs> that was so good. Well, that's all we have for you today. <laughs> so something else that I think is often put onto Asian people and just like ethnic communities in general is like stereotypes um, and something that we've talked about a little bit before is imposter syndrome um, and I'd like to like invite Snay and Daniel um, and also Jasmine if you have something that you want to add to um, to talk about stereotypes and imposter syndrome that you've experienced. Um, I'd say um, the biggest reason for feeling the imposter syndrome for me is uh, the language thing again, just because um, all of like my Vietnamese slash Chinese or Koreans, like they all know their, their language and like they would speak it in front of me. Like I was kind of the outsider there. Um, and so it just, I felt like I wasn't a true like Cambodian or true Chinese person just because I didn't know um my language like at home we would speak like this kind of mix of chinese slash english like my mom would tell me to if like to go eat rice or like did you do your laundry yeah all those like very simple phrases but most of our conversations are in in english um and for the stereotypes um like the the, the stereotypes for asian is like or at least asian boys is like knows kung fu and like likes math or things like that and well I, though i did do martial arts when i was a kid um like i i don't remember my my parents like forcing me into that like i saw them perform at like a school assembly and i was like dave that that's sick i want to do that um and so i joined it i asked my dad and he drove me to, on that friday night and we went and we i did it for like 
four years. And it was honestly the most, it's the place where I felt the most Asian and the most comfortable, like even more comfortable than in my own house, just um, learning like martial arts and kind of a little bit of Vietnamese just because it was a Vietnamese martial arts academy. And just a lot of Asian kids around me because I was like eight, nine years old. So it was um, just, it felt so at home. Like the, the master there was such a good mentor to me. And man, I miss it so much. Um, um, another stereotype for Asians is like learning piano or like violin or something. Um, I did play the viola for like six, seven years. But I also remember like signing up for that myself. And same thing with like math. I like liked it myself. I, did, I wasn't like forced to stay in my room and do math all day. Like I just, for some reason, I loved it so much that I would just do it on my own. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's how I feel about the, the Asian stereotypes. It's, it's, it's a little different than what people think they are, where they think that Asians are kind of forced into them. Did you feel like because you were like just genuinely interested in like the things that um, people stereotype like Asian boys to be interested in, did you feel like that was like, like how did you feel about that? Was it confusing or like, cause I know sometimes for me, like I do the opposite of what people would expect me to do because of, I'm like a woman or like, because I'm like Chinese and so I'm just kind of wondering if you like felt any of that or if you didn't. It, it was a little confusing just because I would be made fun of for it. Like they were things that I personally chose to do on my own, but I would be made fun of for it because I was Asian and it just didn't like tie together in my head that well. Yeah. Cause I feel like no one's going to like ridicule like a white kid if they're really into piano or like, if they're really into like viola or violin or like any of these other things. And so, yeah, I guess like the thing about stereotypes is that you lump certain things in with a certain group and then it's like only when that group does it, it's uncool, which is like kind of obvious, but sad. Um. Like I said before, <laughs> I tried very hard to be American growing up. Um, and so like I did not like try to learn um, an, an instrument um, that is like very, you know, like, like within, within the stereotypes. Um, my experience with stereotypes and imposter syndrome is just like I really did not fit into Asian stereotypes like at all like like my like I, I did not meet um, the societal expectations brought on by these stereotypes and I I would definitely um, not do well in school like I was awful at testing and I had to try significantly harder than everybody else um, and I also was not super into learning until later on in high school. Um, I think like the most like stereotypical, like the most like I fit into a stereotype has just been like being in debate and like being good at debate, um, which I'm pretty grateful for <laughs> and I never really had a problem with. But um, yeah, I don't know, like I, I did not, like the fact that I got into Whitman was kind of crazy because I remember like the, um, the college application process just being the worst experience I had ever had because I, I was just like so low, you know, and I was like, wow, like I'm, I'm not going to get into any schools. Like I applied to 19 schools and that's because we, we got like waivers, like my school got like waivers or whatever for schools. Um, or like for college applications. So I was just like, I'm gonna apply to as many schools as I can. So I applied to 19 schools. <laughs> and um, the second I got into Whitman, like within the week, I like pulled out all my other applications because my financial aid package was super, super good too. Um, 
and yeah like I we I was just so surprised and like I remember my entire family being like so proud that I got into Whitman because it's like a pretty competitive like private school um and you know like putting me in a really good financial situation and all that so that was pretty cool but I guess like the expectations it's it's weird because like the expectations of um being Asian but also the expectations of being a woman of color are different and conflicting um and uh, like I I'm pretty ambitious and I take on things that I'm often not expected to take on um and that's where my imposter syndrome hits um just because like I I feel like I'm being seen as incapable but I I really I don't know like I I feel like I've done I've done a lot to get to where I am and I'm I'm pretty proud of it regardless of the fact that I didn't like do well in school or like do well in testing um I guess with imposter syndrome for me my my dad has this saying that I mean he still says it but he always says it doesn't matter if you're second place or last place you're still a loser I've always like I was like wow I mean like I reflected on it I'm like wow so like if I'm not always at the top then like I'm a loser um so that was something he's always told me like all the time um and I think this pressure of being a girl in my family and having to do like all of the prestigious things is something that really hit me like all my life um it made me realize that I hated half of the things I was like good at um because I was I was not forced to do anything but I was pressured to do well in everything um but it just doesn't work that way because no one's good at everything um eventually you're gonna break and I found my breaking point with like with like STEM subjects because like all of my life like I was kind of like okay I'm gonna be a doctor I didn't have a legitimate reason um it was really just to get my family to shut up honestly um and then I realized like in high school I was applying to schools I'm like I don't want to go to these like I don't want to like apply to them like as a pre-med student or something I'm like what do we even want to do with my life like I'm not even interested in medicine what am I doing why did I do this and it's like I feel like I spent my whole life invested in things that don't even interest me because I was I guess like I told myself I needed to impress my family all the time um it's just weird and and my dad always tells me like oh he's so glad that I was a girl because if he had a son like he would be in so much trouble and yada 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 and I'm just like I mean like I could be the same way but like I just don't feel that I I, I didn't really have the opportunity to make mistakes. Um, and it's still kind of like that. I mean, it's, the bar is always so high that you kind of lose yourself because of it. Um, and I think that's always been hanging over my head. Um, and then with the language thing that Daniel was talking about earlier, um, I was always questioned whether I'm like, because my, my mom and my dad are both immigrants. So my mom's um, came from Mexico. And then my dad came from Iran because of the revolution in 79. So it's like, I, none of my parents taught me their language. So I didn't speak Spanish or Farsi growing up or anything. And it was solely because of the reason that they thought it was unfair to the other person. So I think my mom didn't want me to like speak Spanish with her, my dad not understand, and then like vice versa. So I was always questioned like, cause I'm like, I don't feel like American like growing up especially because I was not I mean like I was not around American culture growing up it's not something that my family has um and so also being questioned by others whether my identity is legitimate is kind of like a hard thing to deal with as well um but yeah that that's my experience with imposter syndrome there was a moment in high school where um, in my French class, we had this guest speaker from another high school come. He was like 
50 or something. And, um, and he, he was, he told us that if your parents speak another language and you guys don't know it, you're doing something wrong or they're doing something wrong. And that hit me so hard just because like my span, my, my, my family speaks, um, Khmer, Chinese, Vietnamese, and English. And like, all I picked up was English. And like, I went home that night and I just like asked my mom to, to like only speak to me in, in Khmer or Cambodian. And I mean, that went on for like two weeks, but then eventually died, you know, but, um, that just like that quote hits me so hard every time I think about it just I don't know I don't think he read the room very well so to end on a high note we're gonna tell kind of like funny stories of when people profiled us incorrectly um so does anyone want to start okay I'll start um one time uh I think it was at the end of high school, I went to the bank that I used to work at and I was um, sitting, the line for the, the tellers was pretty long. So I decided to go sit in the kids section with like all the blocks and the like seven page storybooks. And I was just like playing with the blocks. I Keep in mind, I was like 17 or 18 at the time. <laughs> and um, an old white lady walks up to me and she's like, let me guess. And this was like mid-August, so no. I played tennis like every morning. So I was like pretty dark at the time. And so she goes, let me guess, Korean. And I was like, oh my, <laughs> out of everything you guessed Korean. And um, I just looked up at her and I was like, nope, you're very close, Cambodian. And she was like, oh. <laughs> okay where's that and I was like <laughs> Cambodia and then she handed me this like little paper folded note and it was like like why Jesus loves you and I was like thank you so much I appreciate it you have a good day and she's like you too and I felt like it was a it was a positive experience for me kind of but I just the, yeah that was the most funniest time that I got profiled in public. I wish I had like the audacity to like make things into a joke because I feel like I get so offended when people ask me that but I wish I could be like you're really close or like something. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I canvassed for environmental organization last summer in Vermont, which by the way is like 95, 98% white. <laughs> um and I um I was I was canvassing like on this mountain or whatever and um these people, oh my god, they're so rich. Like oh my god, their houses were like so beautiful. They looked over like the most beautiful mountain ranges. So this person like invited me inside and like invited me to sit on their deck with them um, while while she like filled out her check, right? And I was like, yeah, I'll sit on this deck with you while you pay me. Um, but like she was like, like often what happens like when you canvas is like people like try to make conversation with you and all of that. And I was just like talking to her about the cause and it was like about like single use plastic. Um, it was like, we were trying to like push a single use plastic bill or something like that. And um, and she was just like, you should have, you should have been here earlier where my adopted Hispanic grandson was here and you could have met him. And <laughs> I was like, well, she was filling out like a $75 check. And I was just like, I would have loved to meet your adopted Hispanic grandson. Um, yeah, but it was, it was a lot of experiences where I was like, um, profiles as Hispanic. Like I, I worked this summer. I worked to um, serve lunch to Walla Walla Public School um, students for like the free summer lunch program. And like people would, and you know, like it was like it was like people from the Latinx community who would like like start talking to me in Spanish 
like requesting specific things in Spanish. And I know, I know, like I can definitely understand um, a lot more Spanish now just because I took it for a few years. So like I would know what they're saying, but I wouldn't be able to respond in Spanish. So I'd be like, yes, <laughs> or like I would respond in English and they're just like, do you speak Spanish? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> and then they would have to speak to me in English. Um, even though I would like understand what they're saying. So it was ex it, experiences like that, like where, well, there's just like, I've, I've only had experiences on like two very different sides of the spectrum where it's just like miles and like people start speaking to me in Spanish. And I'm just like, oh, well, I don't really, I'm not really fluent. <laughs> or it's like people being like, what's the weather like in India? <laughs> or <laughs> um, you should have met my adopted Hispanic grandson for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know. The one that I always get is like, they'll be like, oh, hi, like, what's your name? And I'll be like, oh, my name's Alea. And they're like, oh my god, are you Hawaiian? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and then they're like, Oh, so like, what are you? And then we have that whole conversation. Um, but I did have like a similar experience where to Snay's where I was at my uncle's house in rural Pennsylvania and his mother-in-law was there and somehow like me being adopted came up and she was like oh my god like I someone who I know but not really also has adopted kids let me show you a photo and like, <laughs> talk about all of that together and I was like and she was like aren't they so cute and I was like yeah <laughs> and, and then we just like it was so awkward because she was like very prepared for me to be like in awe of these other like adopted children and I was like okay what's your what's your point here um and so yeah that's not really profiling I guess but it's similar to <laughs> what's my experience and that like oh my god I also know someone of your demographic that I'm just gonna I don't know tell you about um mine um well, I guess there's like two instances. One of them is just like, like I've always known you weren't white, but I just couldn't put my finger on it. And I'm just like, okay, that's great. And then another one is that whenever they see my parents, they just don't think it adds up because my mom, like I look a lot like my mom um, and she's like a five foot, like small Mexican lady. And then my dad is like a six foot one, dark, very dark man with like bushy eyebrows and it's just like like I don't really look like my dad I guess um and they're just like like it just looks weird I guess to them um and then my mom's always like um I guess like profiled as like Filipina or something and I'm just like I mean like if you're gonna guess and be like weird then like at least like do it accurately you know like stuff right. your game like at least make it good <laughs> and yeah that's basically my experience yeah yeah like if you're gonna make a guess like actually like do your research and like learn about like all these different countries that you have ignored because they're so unimportant to you like I don't know yeah. Well, Alea, that would require them to have some level of cultural competency. <laughs> and if they, were, if they were culturally competent, they wouldn't be guessing what you're Exactly. It's a cyclical problem. Hawaiian, really? Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I have very little knowledge about, like, Native Hawaiian people. But I guess it's just that I have dark curly hair and I'm like brown in the summer. So I don't, know. <laughs> I know. So I don't know why. I don't know. People have also been like, oh my God, you look like Moana. And I'm like, no, not really. 
How even? I don't know. Moana. <laughs> you look like a 2D cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, that's all we have for you today. We wanted to thank Snay and Daniel for joining us. And as always, we hope that this episode left you with something to think about, especially that last part. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Whitman So White. Lastly, none of the time and energy we spend on Whitman So White is being financially supported. If you can or would like to pay Snay and Daniel for their time and voice, see our Instagram post for their payment options. All guests on Whitman So White will have payment options on our Instagram post. So go to at Whitman So White, pay up, and open your purse. We, we done. <laughs>